I'm a cover girl. I'm a cover girl. I'm a cover girl too. Because I use CoverGirl Simply Ageless Liquid Foundation, America's number one anti-aging foundation brand. Simply Ageless is skincare and makeup in one. It instantly reduces the look of wrinkles and even skin tone. With hyaluronic complex and vitamin C for plump skin and a healthy youthful glow. So be a cover girl like me and me and get better skin at any age. Try Simply Ageless Liquid Foundation from Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi. You'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required. Hello and welcome to Shepreneur with BC Ubo on Africa Business Radio. The only show that spotlights and celebrates African women succeeding in their craft, their business and career. We get to have life-changing conversations to find out how these Amazons succeed despite all odds. So, welcome to the show. On the trivia today, we put out a question on social media and we got answers right back to help you learn important facts in history relating to women. And so the question for today was, who is the first female doctor in Africa? And the answer is Elizabeth Abimbola Awoniyi. Elizabeth Abimbola Awoli, born on the 1910, is a Nigerian from Lagos, born into the family of David and Rafina Akerili. Elizabeth Abimbola was the first woman to practice as a physician in Nigeria and across Africa. She was also the first African woman to earn a license of royal surgeon in Dublin. In 1938, Elizabeth Awoli became the second West African woman to qualify as an orthodox medicine trained physician after Agnes Yawande Savage, who graduated from medical school in 1929. She was the second president of the National Council of Women's Societies of Nigeria from 1964 until her death in 1971. Elizabeth turned to Nigeria and became a gynecologist and junior medical officer at the Massey Street Hospital, Lagos. She later became a chief consultant and medical director at that hospital, holding the later position from 1960 through 1969. In 1962, she was appointed as a senior specialist gynecologist an obstetrician by the Federal Ministry of Health. Some of her awards are Member of Most Excellent Order of the British Empire MBE, Iya Abiyo of Lagos, Yalaya of Oyo Empire, and Nigerian National Honor Officer of the Order of the Federal Republic OFR. She was a woman in STEM and the sciences, and you are inspired today to be whoever you want to be, however you want to be it. I'll take a break now. When I come back, I go straight into the next segment. Stay with us. Welcome back to She Motivates. Today on She Motivates, we will be celebrating an anti-appetite activist and politician in the person of Winnie Madikizela Mandela, born on the 26th, September 1936. 
She was a South African anti-apartheid activist and politician and the second wife of Nelson Mandela. She served as a member of the parliament from 1994 to 2003 and from 2009 until her death and was the deputy minister of arts and culture from 1994 to 1996. Winnie Mandela was a member of the African National Congress ANC political party. She served on the ANC's National Executive Committee and headed its Women's League. She was known to her supporters as the mother of the nation. Winnie married anti-apartheid activist Nelson Mandela in Johannesburg in 1958. They remained married for 38 years and had two children together. She was one of the people who fought against the apartheid in South Africa and her deeds will always remain in her mind. I'll see you after this break. Welcome back to the Shira segment of Shirapreneur with BC Ubo and Africa Business Radio. And once again, I have another Shiro who is a consultant, psychiatrist, managerial psychologist, professional speaker, and the medical director of Tranquil and Quest Behavioral Health, Lagos. She's also the co-author of the book Mental Health in the Workplace. She has received training from the King's College London, the University of Washington, and the prestigious Harvard University, Boston, USA. She is a mental health advocate who is driven by the holistic view to health, and as such is a regular voice on various print and electronic media where she utilizes illustrations and indigenous language to reach her audience. Welcome with me, Dr. Bunjibola Abiri. How are you doing, doctor? Well, I'm well, thank you. Oh, I'm well. Yeah, well. You, are, you are not easy to get. <laughs> I know that. You are mostly overwhelmed. So I want to ask you, how has your practice been before COVID-19 and after COVID-19? Not after, like we still have COVID-19, but yeah, how, COVID what's the okay. difference between before and now? All right. Well, so um, mental health practice in Nigeria is one that is not very much talked about, but very much sought after. And so you find that um, our clinics are busy, our consulting rooms are full, and our wards are, of course, quite occupied as well. And so many people don't talk about the fact that they go to a therapist. However, people do come in. Mm. So that was pre-COVID. Pre-COVID was um, people would come in to discuss their issues and their problems, be admitted for different uh, mental health conditions. However, when COVID hit, it was a bit of this and that. Mm. This and that because, one, people were afraid to come to the hospitals because hospitals were seen as areas where you could, you know, risk factor, exactly, Mm. a risk area, and then you could likely get the virus. But on the other hand, we also saw an upsurge in mental health conditions, Mm. an upsurge in conditions like um, substance abuse disorders, substance abuse disorders such as um, alcohol, marijuana, opioids, to mention a few, as well as other prescription medication. There was an increase in the rate of domestic violence Mm. and people who previously had mental health um, conditions also had relapses. So they broke down. But what we also found was that um, unfortunately, because a lot of Nigerians were not resilient pre-COVID. I mean, so we battle things and we say how tough that we are, but COVID tested people's resolve and resilience. And so you saw people who never had a previous mental health condition break down. Yeah, and so, yes, of course, the numbers did increase and have continued to increase. So the pressure is more now, especially because people can now access care via online platforms as well. So beyond seeing people who come physically into your clinic you're also 
running webinars, running seminars, and also attending to clients online. So it's been busy, I must say. Okay, so I know that we do not have enough mental health experts in the country. Yes, we have just about 200 Mm. as against 200 million or more than that we have. So how do you cope? And what do you think is the solution? How can more people come into the practice? Well, so 200 was a few years ago. If I had to tell you, I, I know that that number has dropped significantly. Mm. Because day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, there's an exodus. Of doctors. Not just doctors, mental health professionals. So mm. doctors, nurses, occupational therapists, social workers, psychologists, people are moving by the day. And so when the numbers drop, of course, the pressure increases. The interesting part about mental health, and I like to call it interesting, is that a lot of people who need the care cannot afford it. Hmm. So despite the fact that you have, you know, public hospitals, federal government hospitals where you have, um, you have a Yaba Psychiatric Hospital, you have... Ah, um, we, nobody likes to go there. <laughs> <laughs> if they see you there, everybody just claims you're mad. <laughs> so there's Yaba Psychiatric Hospital, there's Luth. You know, a couple of federal government hospitals have mental health facilities. You have Lagos State Centers. In fact, Lagos State has, you know, most of the primary health care centers tending to people. And so people to go, go to all of these places. And interestingly, even when they go to these places in a country where the average earning is less than a dollar a day, yeah. they still can't afford it. Hmm. So you can imagine someone who is in private practice and private practice can be pricey. So again, many people who need the care cannot afford the care. Afford and so the ones who go in get some care because it's long term. It's chronic, it's expensive, it's out-of-pocket payment. Mm. Chances are they go one time. Again, they don't understand what the illness is. And our health insurance doesn't yeah. cover any of these. Well, it's beginning to cover a little, but okay. then again, it's only to a limited extent. Um, but you, you also have a country where you have cultural and religious you know, backgrounds where people start to think that it will go away. Mm. Just see the doctor once and that's the end. Yeah. So we continue to struggle and grapple with providing you know, the care that people need. We do the best that we can. But definitely we are outnumbered. And so like you've asked, at some point, the WHO, through a program called the Mental Health Gap, I tried to educate more people in the um, healthcare space so that not every case needs to get to a specialist. There are certain mm. things that they can do by identifying common mental health disorders like depression, anxiety, epilepsy, substance abuse. And so that has been going on for quite a number of years mm. and will continue to go on. So in case uh, people watching or listening are not able to understand what we're talking about, I would like you as a mental health expert to tell us what mental health is, first of all, so that we can have an understanding of what we're talking about. All right. So mental health, simply put, is the health of the mind. There are two words in it, mental and health. Very often we say that there is no health without mental health. Mm. And then you hear people say, oh, I haven't had a headache in 10 years. I haven't been to hospital in 20 years. I am well. (laughs) But the WHO begs to differ because health is not just the absence of disease or infirmity, but a complete state of physical, mental, and social well-being. So you hear mental again. However, mental health, or to say someone is mentally healthy, means that that individual is successfully able to perform the functions of the mind. Mm. Now, the functions of the mind are quite a lot. And they have to do with cognition, emotions feelings, mood, perception, and behavior. And so if an individual is able to successfully perform Perform all all of these functions in such a way that this individual is able to cope with the normal stresses of life, 
can have thriving relationships, can contribute his or own quota to the environment that he or she lives in, and can work productively and effectively, you say that this person is mentally healthy. Hmm. <laughs> so once there's a lack yeah. in one of those functions, you need to see somebody. But okay. ha- then how do you know that uh, the problem you have is what will take you straight to a mental health expert? Because I know that we have life coaches, we have there are different functions that they perform. How do people understand that this is what should take me to see the mental health experts as against seeing a life coach that could help me in some of these areas? All right. I think that a nice and smart way to answer that <laughs> <laughs> will be to say that um, life coaches can see individuals who have some of life's issues. So, for instance, you're having difficulty changing a job. Mm. Or you have difficulty because a partner just left you. Or you just got married and you didn't expect that this was what it was. It's a significant life event. Life coaches can attend to some of those things. However, if you then start having an individual who has increasing intensity, frequency, and distress caused by whatever situation that they find themselves in. In such a way that it starts to affect their functioning, Mm. relationships with others, occupational work, and their functioning in what we call the broader social context which is the environment then that individual is likely to need a professional Hmm. of course also you would start to have abnormalities in some of those functions of the mind that i had mentioned earlier so abnormalities in emotions perception cognition mood and other aspects of behavior that's when a professional comes in Hmm. and of course if the traumatic life event or the significant life event is so overwhelming sometimes you may also need to see a specialist. Mm, so people need to be able to identify the difference. Yeah. <sighs> I know that you um, volunteer with the Lagos State COVID-19 yeah. uh, psychosocial response team. What's that about? In what capacity do you Well, contribute? so we pretty much wrapped that up sometime early this year. Oh, okay. As in our own volunteering. The program is still on, on okay. because there are call centers and all that that people can use. And so I had volunteered in July last year when the COVID-19 was pretty much at its peak. And of course, that volunteering or the initiation of that unit was because we saw that there was a gap to be filled. The team was called the Psychosocial Support Unit, so Mm -hmm. psychological and social support. And so we provided support to people who had the virus, relatives of people who had the virus, health workers who had the virus, and health workers on the front lines who were also taking care of the people who had come down with Mm. the virus. And so... My work was I coordinated trainings because we had to, you know, speak to some of these people and, of course, also coordinated support via phone. And so we were talking to them daily, Hmm. every day. Some of those calls were welcome. Some of those calls were extremely harsh. But it was just us, you know, reaching out to people who at that point in time were extremely in distress. Hmm. Uh, For some, it actually did change their lives. I, I had stories of people who were sent out of their homes because relatives found out that they had the COVID-19 and didn't want them to come home. Mm. I had um, stories of people who lost a lot of loved ones and still needed to be supported. People lost jobs. Yes, exactly. So there were some of those things as well. So it was a lot of units. So there were even legal units to help Mm. people, you know, get support. I mean, if you were dismissed just because you had the COVID-19. But at least what we did was that we were providing psychosocial support to 
the groups of people that I had previously mentioned. Doctor, let me ask you, how do you refresh? <laughs> how do you... So, so I'm a life coach and yeah. I know the sort of energies that I meet when mm. I you know, have to coach people. And I know it takes me time to push it away. Yeah. How do you do that? You have to meet people every day with different problems. Well, so... I, of course, should add at this point, it's pretty much what you've said, that our job is an emotionally laborious job. It is. There's a lot of emotional labor. And um, like you said, people take your energy. So mm. people who come with different energies also yeah. take your energy. And so if you are almost always at empty, mm. you won't be able to give your best. So, of course, self-care is extremely important. But before you even think about self-care, it's you knowing yourself and having a very high index of suspicion. That when I see this, it means I'm not feeling so great and I should actually step back. And so I try to prioritize self-care. Something that I decided to do this year was to go to the beach mm. once every week. Okay. Just Weekends? Prefer- weekday, weekday, actually. Wow. <laughs> 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 they must not hear my office. <laughs> they will understand why maybe on one day I don't you just show up like that. <laughs> and so all I go there to do is just lie down and sleep, mm. listening to the sound of the waves. Away from everyone. I go by myself. I also find time to speak to senior colleagues. So not friends per se, because you may not be able to discuss effectively. Speak about what your own issues are as well. I find time to sleep. I love sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's one of my best hobbies. Okay. I sleep a lot. I spend time with my family. So sometimes I'm at work and I'm like, guys, I'm going home. I'm mm-hmm. going to play with my children. Mm-hmm. They help you refresh. Yes, I spend time with my partner as well. Even though, you know, they look at me and say, Mom, you're almost always working. (laughs) So they see it as well. I spend time with my partner as well. I'm not a TV person, so I'd rather just listen to music or read a book. But I like to get away. And sometimes I turn off my phone. That's awesome. At least you know what works for you. I do. Yeah, so we'll take a break now. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Dr. Bunjubwela. Stay with us. Welcome back to Shepreneur with BC Ugo and Africa Business Radio. And I still have my guest in the building, Dr. Bonjubola. I'm actually enjoying the way I'm pronouncing this name. You need to give me an award. And we are still having a very, very interesting conversation. Now, let me ask you, I know that you volunteered for different NGOs and um, you're currently volunteering for Acido Foundations. And that has to do with drug abuse. What do you think is the cause of young people taking a lot of drugs? All right. So that's (laughs) that's like a heavy question. But I think that, um, you know, as part of our work in Acido, at Acido, I actually manage the women's mental health part of the foundation. But of course, we have a campus network that also looks at adolescents, young adults, and substance. Substance is fast becoming the order of the day. Mm. It's becoming the norm rather than the exception. When we look at causation, we usually look at causation from three spheres, and we call it the biological, the psychological, and the social spheres. And so you'd find that in families where one parent or both parents were using a type of substance, children are more likely to use, Hmm. including alcohol. Hmm. For the psychological, if people have gone through significant life events or they have personalities that are personalities that need other people to validate them or their personalities that are antisocial personalities or they have issues with self-esteem, confidence issues, they're likely to, you know, want to use substance. 
and then social factors. More often than not, people who live in um, underprivileged areas where the social indicators are bad, mm. poverty, ignorance, disease, unemployment, overcrowded areas. Of course, that's not to say that it doesn't cross the barrier of socioeconomic status and you could mm -hmm. find it in high areas well. and low areas, which of course would determine what the distribution in these areas would be. And so what we often say in my practice is people use substance to do th two things, either to run away from pain or to run towards pleasure. Hmm. But whatever it is, to run away from, from pain, pain or, or run to run towards, towards pleasure. pleasure. Wow. And wow. so whether they're trying to alter their current state of mind, they're trying to get inspiration, like they always say. <laughs> I mean, that's pleasure. Whether they're trying to sleep, that's pleasure. pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so people will use for different reasons. Some people use just because that's all they saw their parents do. Hmm. Some people use because they were influenced to use. Peer pressure? Yeah, peer pressure. Some people use because they listen to music. And I've had a couple of people who tell me that, oh, when I was listening to this person's music many years ago, that's what influenced me. I just liked how they used to hold cops mm -hmm. in the videos and all of that. Wow. And... Wow. People just use for different reasons. Some people use substance because they're trying to cope with the pressures of life. And they don't know how best to cope. So again, to run away from pain or to run towards pleasure. Hmm. People say, okay, that um, marijuana mm -hmm. is not mm -hmm. a drug. That is a herb mm -hmm. given to us by God. Mm -hmm. Please, doctor, explain to us. <laughs> <laughs> is marijuana a drug? And can people stop giving it the attributes it doesn't have? So I've heard a lot about marijuana. And I've seen it when, you know, patients bring it on TV or... What we call Igbo. Yeah. Mm. So or in pictures. So marijuana, also known as weed, also known as Igbo, also known as Eski, also known as Loud, also known as Black Mamba. You know all of them. Also, I have to know it's my dog. <laughs> I mean, doctor, that's something you know, you're not telling us. There are always code names. <laughs> and so you must be able to decipher what the code name is yeah. before the client comes in. And then mm. they teach us different things wow. about all of this. So there's so many. Purple Kush, Black Mamba, SK, uh, Arizona. Hmm. And so there's so many. The interesting thing is the drug itself. It's a drug. Mm. Again, anything that alters your state of mind. So it alters your emotions, your perception, your your behavior, your thought pattern is a drug. It's a drug. Even if it's a natural herb. Yeah, even if, and so that's what people always say. Oh, it grows from the floor. It's medicinal. Definitely, we know that um, Western medicine, yes, yeah. has used it for, you know, to encourage people to eat, to help with pain, especially when people have intractable pain conditions such as, you know, epilepsy, a pain Cancer. disorder, cancers. Exactly. But the way that the drug is being used here is different. Mm. I know that certain Western countries have um, legalized it, but that's because they've also taken out what is known as the quote-unquote bad part of it. So it's not coming to my memory now, but there are two different parts of um, cannabis, two different active ingredients in mm. cannabis. One is healthy, one is supposedly healthy. The other, indica, some people say oh, they're, they're taking indica or oh, they're taking sativa. So one is supposedly healthy, but one is not supposedly healthy. But what I find and what I always say is that I've had clients all the way from Canada who they bring back to Nigeria mm. and who are smoking the same weed that they say is clean weed. They are broad weed. Yes. Okay. But it come down with psychosis. Mm. So some people have been smoking for a long time and nothing happens to them. 
Some have a predisposition to break down with a mental illness. And so if there's a family history of mental illness, or even in that person, that person may be the first person to have it in their families. Marijuana can cause psychosis. A lot of studies have shown that the use of marijuana is associated with psychosis. Hmm. Psychosis, of course, is impairment in reality testing. And it might even be the first time that the individual uses it, that he gets a major psychotic illness that they never recover from. Wow. Apart from that, it affects cognition, it affects memory, it affects learning, it affects motivation in mm-hmm. many areas, yes. Inspiration, okay, because some people well, take it and they say they see and they're able to write so, songs and able to... So because it's a drug mm. and because it, it alters the mind, it alters the different sensory areas of the mind. And so you may see someone who just smoked weed tell you, oh, I can hear colors mm. or I can see sounds. <laughs> we That's described as synesthesia. There's an intermingling of the senses. Mm. And so they're able to learn at a faster pace than most people. They're able to do things faster. But then again, it's a drug. And after a while, this affects well as well. Mm. So marijuana is a drug. Marijuana causes psychosis. And unfortunately, around here, what we find is you see a young person and you say, oh, so what are you currently using? And he says, oh, just weed. No more weed. And I'm like, okay. So let's run a panel, a test. And then you run a panel with 14 substances and 12 come alive. What does that tell you? What do you mean by panel? So there's a urine drug testing kit, which has 14 substances it's supposed to check. So apart from marijuana, you can also check cocaine, methamphetamines, MDMA, heroin, codeine, opioids. And by the time the person urinates inside the container, instead of just seeing THC, which is tetrahydrocannabinol, yes, you see... 12 substances positive. What does that tell you? Hmm. You have gone around now. It's been laced. Mm. And you don't know. You don't know. Because, like, they always respond to me. They say, I trust my dealer. And that in itself Mm. is a problem in judgment. (laughs) Wow, doctor. This is really so deep. So you would agree with the NDLAA that says that we have to start testing people now before (sighs) they get married, start testing them before they get into the (laughs) university, you know, and all that. But in your line of work, let me ask you, how do you think we can help young people stay away from drugs because it's time to you know start seeking for solutions yeah. we have i have a lot of young people around me who i see and i feel sorry like i do mm. not know what the future holds because mm. of how they live the sort of drugs they take and everybody just wants to get there very fast and live that flamboyant life mm. how do we help young people to understand that drugs i know no all right and so in you know in response to that what i'll tell you is um over this weekend, somebody reached out to me. She's very close to me, but her son is struggling. It must have been to rehab like 10 times. Jeez. And so he's in, out. We call it a revolving door syndrome. He goes in, comes out, guess. And so the last time she told me, she said, just tell me the truth. Is there a solution to this thing? Oh my God. And I, I had to tell her, I'm like, where we are is dependent already. You can't do without this thing. And she said something, which is why I wanted to quote her. She said, she prayed and she said, I'm sure that with your line of work, none of your children would get into this thing. Hmm. You can't say exactly mm, this life. And so even I haven't responded to her, but of course what I thought about was there are no certainties. Mm. We can all just try. And so there was a day I ordered a book. I was shocked at the title of the book. That was why I ordered the book. The book says, don't let your kids kill you. 
It's a book for parents whose children are struggling with drug addictions. Because a lot of parents they blame, tell you, yeah. blame themselves. Mm. They struggle. They get ill health, either physical or mental, and eventually die before even these children who use substances. And there was a key thing that the person who wrote it said. He said it's important that even specialists and therapists realize that they are not immune. These things can happen to any of us. And so stopping adolescents or stopping children in general is about intentionality on all our parts. Intentionality as single people before we get married. Intentionality. Yes. Being intentional about the kind of home you want to raise your children in, Mm. the kind of partner you want to marry, the kind of people you attract into your life, the kind of coping styles that you use whenever you have problems. It's about, you know, learning how to be resilient, learning skills, life skills. You know, there's some people, once something little happens to them, they just, Mm. they're like, oh, I want to smoke, I want to do this. No, there should be other things, other alternatives that you can look out for. And, you know, when I talk about how parents should be intentional about who they marry, how they raise kids, parenting, is that a lot of the foundational problems that cause children and adolescents to turn to drugs as a source of succor come from homes. And so when you see homes where the children would rather go to school than stay at home because they feel safe with their friends rather than with their their families, it's a bit of a problem. Where you see children exhibiting distress, either because parents are having a dysfunctional family or parents are always having a, a go at each other or parents are not even there. Parents are chasing money. I mean, many times people chase money because you want to take care of children. But I've seen children tell their parents in my consulting room, Dad, I didn't ask you to do that. Mm, I wanted All you. I wanted was your time. Wow. So it's intentionality on many levels. And before we even start talking about our government, because government's involvement is much later, we must build homes where we can teach our children. I mean, I can say that I tried to smoke once. It was influence. Somebody just said, oh, try this thing. I mean, I was asthmatic. What, what was I doing with this cigarette? <laughs> but I was lucky that he didn't get in. But mm. after that, I just, no, this is not what I want to do. And then my dad used to tell us a lot of stories. Oh, see, if you do this, mm. it's likely to end up as this. When we were young, too, a young man came to live with us. He had had issues with drugs. And so it was easy for me to look at this guy and say, I don't want I don't to want be like, like this. Mm. So opening up children to the reality that, see, it's choice. At the end of the day, it's really about choice. Mm. We will guide you. We will do the best we can. We will teach you what we should. But it's about making a choice. Because there's also some people who have been schooled straight from their lives. And the moment they get out of the house, Mm. they just turn to drugs. So it's a personal thing. We need to know our children, teach our children, let them speak to us, let them be our best friends. I think that's... I won't even talk about government today. But the intentionality in our homes, Mm. in our schools, to talk about these issues, extremely important. Wow. Before I let you go, doctor... (laughs) I know I feel pained because I know that a lot of families are actually struggling because they want to make ends meet. So it's not like we have money and we want to add more money to what we have. Is that we have to work so that we can even give you to some level a standard of living that is okay. And then they are sort of being paid back with children who feel you've not given me your time. And we know that there are some situations where we still have people who did not even have that opportunity to have parents who turned out well. So how do you now decide that this would work for my children? Are you in that position to make that decision? So again, intentionality, getting information and being aware. Mm. 
and um, knowing your children. I often talk about my children when I speak, and I have two children. How old are they? Nine and six. Okay. A girl and a boy. And I say that I can count how many times I have woken my daughter up and she did not cry. So I can count it mm. that she did not cry. Oh, she's always crying. So she's always crying. <laughs> <laughs> For my son, I can count how many times I have woken him up and he cried. Mm. Two children, different same behaviors. parents, different personalities. So if I had to describe my daughter, I would say she was slow to warm. If I had to describe my son, I would say he was an easy child. Comparing children is a no-no. No, no. Mm. So look at each one and understand and appreciate their individual uniqueness. Apart from that, know your children. So people often say to me, oh, you should change your children's school. It's far off. And I'm like, okay, guys, what do you think? The distance to school is quite far. Uh, what do you think about changing? They're like, no, we want to remain in our school. We need to talk to children. And understand what, what it they is that want. they want. Again, they're not mm. dictating for you. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you'd say, oh, this is what we think. This is what we think. But talk to them. I admitted a child a few months ago. The child was mute. I'd been mute for two months. Not that this child wasn't speaking before. Just didn't want to talk to anybody. The mother changed the school. Did not consult the child. Oh. And just changed the school. Oh. And so by the time the child got to school, the child started behaving aggressive in the school. So we need to know our children. Communicate with our children. You know, in those days, they never used to, we never used to say anything. They don't ask you. Yeah. They beat you do, into submission. You just, you. you just see 20 people show up at your house and you say, oh, they're coming to live with us for the next two years. Nobody asks <laughs> any. These days, hmm. you need to be able to carry your children along and say, oh, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Carry them along. And then when they ask questions, let's answer them. Hmm, don't shut them down. Create scenarios for children. I want to pick my kids one time in school and they're like, hey, mom, let's stop at the restaurant, the supermarket. And I'm like, so what are we doing at the supermarket today? Uh, we want to buy this. And I'm like, oh, no, we can't go today. And they're like, why? I was like, because there's no money. <laughs> Many parents always want to create a perfect scenario for children. Let children know that difficult times occur. Mm. My daughter said to me before, mom, I want to be so popular. She still said yesterday night. And I was like, why do you want to be popular? She said, because I want everybody to like me. And nah. I said, look at me. Everybody will not like you. I said, look at me. I said, look at me. Not everybody likes me. Mm. But that you need to realize that it's not your work to do to make people like you. So question their insecurities from a young age. Help them to build great esteem. When my daughter is done with her hair, she just looks at the mirror and she says, Mom, I'm so beautiful. I'm like, wow, yeah. you are. Yes, you are. But that's <laughs> because you've heard me say it to you. If I told a child how stupid or how ugly or how unimportant they are, the child, will feel, the child will feel that way. So. We must watch our words, our thoughts, our deeds, our actions around our, children. around our children. We must read. I'm a therapist, but I read so voraciously. There's a book on my shelf now. It's called The Book That You Wish Your Parents Had Read mm. and That Your Children Will Thank You For Reading. You must it's seek knowledge. That book. Send it to me. I haven't heard that. You must seek knowledge because you want to know how to cope with a 21st century child. Yeah. Imagine that a nine-year-old child is telling you, Mom, so I have a crush. Ah, like, okay. They've told me that. Now. They've told <laughs> and, me that at and, nine, exactly. Yeah, and so what I, I crush. What I, I said, I like my, him. Yeah. What I, in fact, my daughter here. She said, "Mom, why can't I fall in love?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I said to her, "I said, you know, when I was little, so stories also help children." Mm. I said, "When I was little, I wrote a letter to a crush that I had. I said I put it in my underwear and it fell out in the car. Mm. My grandpa saw it. I said, oh. you know what grandpa did when I got home? <laughs> I said he whooped me." <laughs> 
know she knows that for us to be having a conversation mm. about this difficult time. And I'm like, see, so I opened the Bible and I said, read it to me. There's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. It's time to do this, a time mm. to do. She said, okay. When the time comes. Yeah, she said, so right now the t- it's time for me to read my books. Yeah. I said, exactly. So. Fantastic, doctor. How do we support people who want to get into your industry? <laughs> the way the young people... You see the way I'm saying <laughs> It's an industry. <laughs> it's a, a profession, you yeah. know. And I really do not see a lot of encouragement when it comes to STEM, when it comes to sciences. Yeah. Largely because the people who are in STEM and sciences are so serious-minded that they don't show us the happy sides to it. And yeah. children of these days want the glitz and the glam. Yeah. How do we... We need more people to be in this profession. How do we help them? Well, definitely. One, create the need. Let them see the need. There's a need. And so encourage people, encourage young people to toe the lines. And so that's what I encourage people to do. That beyond being a doctor, find other areas of your life that are marketable. Mm. I always say that if I'm not a doctor, I'll be speaking. Yeah. If I wasn't speaking, what else would I do? Maybe I'll be creating. Come up with, you know, spontaneous ideas, shoot videos, do things that I thoroughly enjoy. But there, I know that there are many of my colleagues who are boxed. And so there was one time in my life I wrote an article and I titled it, Take Away My Stethoscope. If your stethoscope was taken away as a doctor, Who what else you can be? you do? Hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, it was a reflection point for a lot of my colleagues because I just thought, without medicine, what I can't else? do anything else. So encourage people to find, you know, profitable careers, photography, music, art, like you've said, science, volunteering, anything that they thoroughly enjoy so that we don't make it look like a straight jacketed, and that's what it is. Encourage people to know that a psychologist is the professional, mm-hmm. and they're doing fantastic work. A social worker is the pro. Not everybody will be a doctor. Everybody can be anything else yeah. and still succeed at what they do. And interestingly, not every doctor is happy. Mm. Not every doctor also practices. Yeah. So we must let them see the world for what it is. It's a playing ground that would accommodate any and everything. I mean, these days I'm wishing I'm a techie now. Why so are you wishing ever? that now? Please, we need you <laughs> so in this. I can write one app and, you no, know. No, 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 no. We need you in this so. profession, doctor. Please, don't wish anything else. Please, thank you. Thank you. So we can all be what we want to be, <laughs> yeah. even though, you know, we have fields of study that we're attracted yeah. to. Thank you so much, doctor, for being on the show today. Thank you for we having me. We had a me. wonderful time and I hope to, you know, see you more often oh. so that we can really go in depth in mental health discussions i wish you all the best in your future endeavors thank you and when you decide to take up that photography or something else that you You want to do or acting you could try acting Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) that's a wrap on shipreneur with bc when africa business radio till i come your way again next week bye-bye If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry. 
committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.